So that's the theme that we're going to try and do these next weeks. We're going to address issues of church polity. We're going to address issues of church preaching. And we're going to address issues of church practice and how that relates to us. And just look at the Bible and see if we can find ways to correct whatever has been deficient. And we know that there is the great possibility, the very probability that there are deficiencies here. And, and that's not... It's not saying anything bad necessarily. It's just, it's just saying the truth. And we want to bring ourselves into order under, under God. Now, Titus, this letter is written to Titus. It's a pastoral epistle. There's lots of emphasis on the church. And Paul really discusses in this letter the qualities of a healthy church. And that's what we really want to be. We want to be a biblically healthy church, at least according to what God says. Titus was a young man. Now, he probably wasn't as young as Timothy was, but he was young nonetheless. He was a trusted friend. He was a trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. When, when there was difficulty in ministry, Paul sent in Timothy in two of the most difficult places. Uh, I'm sorry, Titus. Paul sent in Titus in two of the most difficult places for ministry, two of the most difficult places for a pastor, guess who Paul sent in? Titus. Corinth. He sent him into Corinth. We, look, we, we see that in 2 Corinthians. And he sent him into um, Crete. And we'll talk about Crete in just a moment. Titus accompanied Paul on most of his journeys. He was left in Corinth to teach there. He was left in Corinth to lead the people in repentance. We know that he had a great love for the church. We know that he was a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And we know that he was a shepherd of the church. At his heart, he cared for the local church. Now, we've already mentioned Crete. Paul is, we see here, this is verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. What is Crete? Where is Crete? Well, Crete is an island located in the Mediterranean Sea just east of Athens. It's a rather large island. Paul visited there very briefly, and you can write down, maybe in the margin of your Bibles, just Acts 27, 7 through 9. He just visited there briefly. Uh, Later, he returned with Titus and appointed him to organize the church there. Probably by the time that Paul got to Crete the first time in Acts 27. There were probably actually many churches on the Isle of Crete. And that came as a result of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the churches, we read about those from Crete in Acts 2, 11. They were there in Jerusalem who heard, they, they heard the 120 speak in other languages. And of course, upon arriving back in Crete, those who believed would have established assemblies or churches. But you can be assured, most of them were probably immature churches. Most of them were probably in need of further teaching. Most of them were probably in need of guidance and and direction, which is why it makes sense that Paul would go there then to help them. And he noticed what needed to take place, and so he leaves Titus uh, there in Crete for that great purpose. I said... Paul must have had a great amount of respect for Titus. I mean, to put him in those, 
Either he had respect for him or he didn't like him a whole lot, you know. You, you put somebody in Corinth and Crete, uh, two of the most difficult areas for ministry. These were definitely not pastor-friendly places. Um, Titus is placed in Crete there. And uh, the reason I say it's not pastor-friendly, look at chapter 1, verse 12 for a minute. One of them, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul's telling Titus, you know what? One of their own people says this. We all know that, that Cretans are known for being lazy, lustful liars. That's what they are. What a difficult place. What a difficult people among whom to minister. Just tells me something. That the church is made up, now I want to be careful I say this, but the church is made up of such people. That's our story in our past. Lazy, lustful, liars. We, that's, that, that's where we come from. So there's nobody here perfect. Nobody here even close to perfect. Nobody here even, even you know, moving the needle, the good needle. We, we come out of not such good stock. And there, that's where God plants his church. He plants his church in the midst of the world. He plants his church in the midst of the world. Now, the letter that Paul writes here was written between his first and second imprisonments. He's probably in a place called Nicopolis, written about three years before his death. You're familiar with the, the saying, Christians are in the world, but what? Not of the world. Well, God has placed the church in the world, in a place of darkness and sin. But though that was our story, it no longer is our story. And the book of Titus is written to demonstrate that. So what I would like to do tonight is just give you four just sort of starting points for this, this little series as we seek to analyze the church and where we are. I just want you to look at the first four verses of Titus. Titus chapter 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God, a slave of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is Paul's longest greeting in all of his letters. This is Paul's longest greeting. And there's so much here for us to just, we could really feast on for quite a, a long time. But I just want, to, want you to think about four words tonight. I want you to think about the word foundation I want you to think about the word faith. I want you to think about the word formation, a uh, future and formation. Foundation, faith, f- 
future and formation. Think about this in, in light of the local church. So we could say the foundation of the local church, the faith of the local church, the future of the local church, and the formation of the local church. And I want us to see it very personally to us. Think about how this, the, what is the foundation of our church, the faith of our church, the future, and so, and so on. I say foundation because of the way Paul begins this. He begins it, though it doesn't, it's not, he doesn't use these words. It, it kind of shines through. He, this is a, a note of apostolic authority. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, a doulos, a, a slave of Jesus Christ, and or a slave of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We know what the word Slave means it refers to one who has been bought with a price. One who has been bought with a price. He is a slave of God. He's, 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 he has a one master, and that master is the Almighty God. But you know the word apostle. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It means sent one. Acts 9 records for us his commissioning as an apostle. Paul was sent by God and thus he is writing with apostolic authority. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I, I, I'm thinking back to Jesus telling us what the foundation of the church is in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter uh, made his you know, God-inspired uh, confession of who Christ is. He says, who do you say that I am? I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, on this rock I will build my church. On this foundation I will build my church. Paul's coming in with this note of he, he is a slave of God. He's going to do whatever God says and, and he's coming as a, an appointed messenger of Jesus Christ. He comes with a message, a divinely ordained message. What is the foundation of our church? There is a very, I'll say it this way, there is a very apostolic foundation for Calvary Bible Church. Not because someone here right now or even in our past is or was an apostle but because we are built on the apostolic message, the message handed down from the Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles. What is the foundation of Calvary Bible Church? We're, we're about an apostolic message. There is an, there is an apostolic uh, authority to the church, and that authority is found in the message, not in any man. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle, a, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now just think about the faith of the church. He, he says here calls the faith of God's elect. And we talked about God's elect a little bit this morning. For the sake of why? What is the, why am I a servant of God? Why am I a slave of God? Somebody might ask Paul, or Paul might say, why am I an apostle of Jesus Christ? I am an apostle for the 
faith of God's elect. Paul was committed to preaching the gospel. He told Timothy, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Why? That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I do what I do for the faith of God's elect. God, those that God has set his love on. And as we said this morning, the wonderful thing, the wonderful news of the gospel is that God has his elect all over the world. There is not a geographical a geographic, geographical place in this world where God's elect are not present. God's love reaches through down and, and every place in this, in this world. And Paul says, I do what I do for the sake of the faith. The, those who are trusting, that faith is, is faith or trust or belief in the apostolic message which has been passed down. So as we think about our local church, we understand there's a foundation here. There's a very apostolic foundation. The, the, the word of God through the prophets, through the apostles, what is the faith of God's church? The faith of God's church, the faith of God's elect is, is trusting in that message that they might, that God's elect might have come to faith and that they might come to an increasing knowledge of the truth. Which, which truth? Well, the truth that, of, of the message. The truth of the message that's been passed down from the prophets and the apostles. Written down, we have it right here. And he says, and that, this is, this is really particular and, and important for the book of, of Titus, for the people of Crete which accords with godliness. What's, who's he writing to? He's writing to the Cretans. What have they been known as? They've been known as lazy, lustful liars, right? And he says, this message accords with, it goes together, it fits with, it leads to godliness, holiness. The word is piety. It leads you to, to piety, to piousness, to godliness. So the foundation of the church, the faith of the church, that message, that once deliver, for all delivered message from the prophets and the apostles, bringing us to faith, helping us to grow in the knowledge and, uh, of that truth. And that truth is what leads us to godliness. This this. this uh, greeting here plays out in the rest of the book. So when we come to talk about practice, the church's practice is going to have a big time effect on it. And then think about the church's future. It says, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. I love that. It accords with godliness, and that godliness is not removed from our hope of eternal life. Isn't that exactly what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1? He who has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. This is the hope of eternal life. What is the future of our church? Where are we going? We are moving, brothers and sisters, we are, uh, I, I, I'm not sure about all these songs, but that, that old song, we're marching to Zion, you know, Sort of that beautiful picture of heading, we're, we're, we're going there together, 
right? We're going forward. We're moving on. We have the hope of eternal life. And so there's nothing that can really destroy. There's nothing that can destroy us. Plenty of things that can distract us. Nothing that can destroy us. Ultimately, we're moving forward. We're moving on to glory. We have this wonderful hope of eternal life. That's the the future of the church. And so we can't be We can't be unnecessarily tied down to things here. We can't be basing our hope on on buildings and budgets and all of those other things. It's interesting. The book of Titus doesn't talk about those kinds of things. The book of Titus doesn't talk. As we we analyze our church, now do we need to talk about that? We will, but that's not primary. Why? Because we have a hope of eternal life. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My home is laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? So the foundation, uh, the faith, the future in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised from before the world began. What did God promise? God who never lies promised before the world began. He promised eternal life. Praise the Lord. He promised eternal life and he never lies. He's unable to lie. God cannot lie. In the hope of eternal life. I love that. God made this promise before time began. He promised life eternal and Paul was committed to. To that. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. He said, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, before time began. There is an eternality to his church that we would do well to consider. There is an eternality to, 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 to the church that we would do well to consider. Before you or I were ever created, God the Father promised God the Son that every single person that He redeemed would be granted eternal life. And that's, that's just beautiful. We think about our church, let's consider our foundation our faith, the message that we're trusting, that we've come to believe and we're seeking to grow in and knowledge, that will produce godliness. Let's consider our future. We're moving on to eternal. We have eternal life right now. And so there's a sense in which we say we ought to live like it. We ought to live like we have eternal life right now. And then lastly, think about the formation of the church. And I love how he says this. So, God, who never lies, promised before the ages began in eternity past. At the proper time, when it was the proper time, he manifested his word. How? Through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. Paul's talking. Through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So he's saying, there was, there was a time in eternity past, before the ages began, when God made this promise. And he brings this promise into uh, to reality or to fruition, I should say, 
in the present time, at just the right time, Paul would say, through the preaching of the word of God. How is the church formed? The church is formed, listen, as God preaches his word, preaches this same gospel, the same gospel that the people on Crete believed, the same gospel that we believe, the same gospel that will be believed all the way, however much more time God has it, that same gospel. He preaches that. He brings it to bear on the lives of people and they believe. That's how the church is formed. So when I say that, we have to understand that what brings People here, praise the Lord for all of the, the outward things and all the things that we get to do and be and experience and, the, and lights and buildings and all this. But what is the secret to building the church? How's the church formed? It's formed through the preaching of the word. It's formed through the preaching of the word. And, and of course, when I'm saying that, I'm not simply saying what takes place from the pulpit, but I'm, I'm speaking mainly of the declaration of the gospel truth. That's how the church is formed. That's key. And so anything that needs to be corrected, anything that is deficient in our church, we need to come back thinking about it in those terms. You know, this morning there were, I, I, don't, I don't know what the count was, but 300 people here this morning. And you say, well, why, why, why are people coming to the church? Why are people coming to services? Oh, well, it must be because we have a great building or we have a perfect parking lot. We've got the best seats with wax on the back of them because people spill their candles on Christmas Eve, Right? We, it must be because we got the greatest programs. We got the biggest budget. We have the best preachers. We got the best teachers. And that's not what it's all about. There's a sense in which, for whatever reason, God is bringing people here. God is growing us out. And it's much more than just about us. It's much more than just about this building and protecting what we have and us for and no more kind of thing. It's much more about his glory until he comes again. He says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. This, this faith is common. This is, it's, it's not an unusual faith. It's not a unique faith. It's the faith, you know, of Noah. It's the faith of Abraham. It's the faith of Moses. It's the faith of Elijah. It's the faith of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's the faith of the Apostle Paul. It's the same common, not unique, normal faith of every um, one who has professed the Lord Jesus Christ. So as, as we come over these next couple of weeks, we're going to try to address some deficiencies in the church. And maybe, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'll come up and say, now here, this is deficient, and this is deficient, and this is deficient. But what I'd like us to do is sort of look at the Bible, look at some of the things that he brings out to us, and then seek to analyze it ourselves. All right, so you'll hear, uh, Lord willing, in the coming weeks, some of the elders speaking, some of us talking about things that we've been talking about in ways that we can correct what is deficient. We'll begin next week as we look at this issue of church polity. We want to correct 
what is, and, and maybe just correcting means that we come to a, a more firm understanding of what it means, what God calls for from a, for a church government and how we govern this church. Maybe that's all it means. Maybe there are some glaring errors and we'll seek to, to fix those or to correct those according to God's way. So we'll try to do that next week. I don't know if we'll do it, you know, one each week or maybe if it'll take a couple of weeks. We'll see how that goes. But uh, be, be uh, thinking about that. There'll be a couple of books that we'll try to have on the back book nook. I don't know if there are any back there now, Rodney, that are pr- primarily about the church. I don't, yeah, but to be looking for those. We'll try to get some books out that might be helpful to you and to us all as we think about how we can put in order what is lacking here. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us tonight to consider your word. And as we think about your church, we pray that you would help us to, that you would, first of all, reveal to us things that are deficient, that we might correct it. And Lord, that you'll help us help the elders as we lead, as we plan, as we shepherd, help us as a church to have a heart for you. Thank you for the heart that you've given to us, O Lord. And thank you for the work that you're doing here, not just here in terms of this location, but here in our hearts. Thank you for how you're working in us to draw us closer to you. I pray, Lord, that we might know what it is to live for your glory and that you will build your church. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.